it's all an exploration. I'm the yeah. same. I've changed my views. Welcome to the All Men Can podcast. My name is Anthony and my co-host is Damien. Uh, this particular episode ideally should have come out on maybe Friday the 23rd of November as that was White Ribbon Day. Sunday the 25th of November was also the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Last Wednesday, I sat down with Tracy McLeod Howe. A little bit of a different setup. This was in an office in Sydney. So there's a bit of background noise. Uh, I had two separate microphones. I, I decided to also have a backup recording, which um, unfortunately I do need to draw upon a little bit uh, in the edit. So I'll now hand over to Damien, uh, who's going to give us a bit of an intro to the episode. Thanks, Damien. Yes, well, Ant, now that you're a corporate consulting jet setter, I didn't make it up to Sydney. Uh, but you certainly did, to catch up with an incredible person, Tracy McLeod Howe. Now, uh, if there's ever a person that I've actually had a look at that's devoted themselves to the protection of women uh, and children, and pretty much devoting their, their life to it, Tracy's top of the pops, frankly, working in uh, child protection, in uh, legal centres, uh, we're looking at a senior legal advisor for the Australian government for over seven years, uh, being a part of the Greater Western Sydney Special Domestic Violence Service, the CEO for a number of years for Domestic Violence New South Wales, the New South Wales Law Reform Commissioner uh, for two years, which was incredible, the CEO of the New South Wales Council of Social Services, and for a very short period the CEO of the White Ribbon Foundation. So in October, stepping away. In this conversation that Ant has with Tracy, um, touches on that, uh, but also looking forward as to what she plans to do uh, and indeed what we all can do and what all men can do to uh, minimise harm against women and indeed children. Uh, make time to enjoy this conversation. It's uh, I certainly found it fascinating. I started working in domestic and family violence specifically in 2008. But before that, I worked for government and I certainly came across violent, uh, violent men mm. um, because I used to run child support matters. I used to be one of those decision makers who ran those sort of um, quasi-judicial departures from child support assessment. And I always had a view, I could see where power and control came into it, but didn't really understand it till I ran a women's refuge, the, mm. the complexity of it, mm. and that it is so prevalent. But I've also grown to embrace men, which has been an interesting fork in the road for me, and the possibilities, because men primarily are the problem and to themselves as well mm. you know and so my view is that for us to change this it has to be men take care of the business yeah it's my view i used to think it was about women's business and there was a women's sector and that's what i was part of yeah and i identify as a feminist all of that is fine but the bit that's missing is the actual problem which you know 
<laughs> the partners mm. um, who were creating the work for us in the women's sector. And then there's the men who are not doing anything, but they have a place to make a change. I think that's really important. Mm. Or we're not going to move the needle on this at all. It will just keep happening. It does feel like it's not going to move. I'm hopeful. Yeah. I, and I'm hopeful because coming from the women's specific sector, I think there's two bits of the puzzle yet to be really explored and worked on, and that is working with children and breaking the cycle before it starts, healthy relationships, all of that stuff around gender equality. So starting with the kids and then up the spiky end, supporting kids and having something for them who live with domestic and family violence mm. because there isn't much of anything. And that's a huge area that needs developing and investment. But the other bit is actually men mobilising on this, which is why I respect the concept of white ribbon on the ground, even though I don't work there. Mm. Uh, it started in Canada and it was about being an ally to the women's movement and say, let's join forces. So that's why I, I think men and children ha is yet the, the new fertile territory. And if we can start to grow that and water that garden a bit, then we can move the needle. I, um, my support of White Ribbon has been pretty minimal over the last few years. And, you know, a few commentators who would say, well, right, White Ribbon's not necessarily doing anything for women here and now. If you want to do something, then make a donation to Safe Steps. Yep. So I would do that. Yep. When, we, when we started this podcast we did talk about white ribbon yeah. the timing for when we started and with a lot of white ribbon news activity from nicholas cowdery luke mm -hmm. foley the women's abortion rights but that's not particular terminology mm. like that position statement mm. and then yourself like there's been a lot going on mm. we spoke to glenn mm. it was on an episode of ours Absolutely fascinating. Look, I, after that, was like, yeah, I, I think I do want to look into being uh, an ambassador. There was another white ribbon ambassador who got in touch with us when we started who has now actually stepped down. Um, he feels that he's a little bit conflicted. He's been talking to a lot of women in his life about the organisation and doesn't see that it's necessarily the right path. It, it's a very complicated It is complicated. Matter. It, it's very complicated. If you're going to change this prevalence of violence against women... You've got to look at the fact we've got the crisis end and the refuges. I used to run a refuge. So we need support and investment so that women have somewhere to go. But it shouldn't necessarily be a refuge. It could be housing as well. Um, it could be that she's funded to find her own way. So it's not just about women running and hiding. But there's everything in between right up to the primary prevention, which is what White Ribbon seeks to do. Mm. And that's about stopping it before it starts. There are other options out there. There's Our Watch that also does a similar thing, which is for the whole community. And what I would say to you is if you're conflicted about should I or shouldn't I be an ambassador, really just walking the walk is enough as well. The fact you're running this podcast, you're looking for points of view that aren't um, embedded in fear or hate or anger that you're asking for positions from someone like me who's a feminist, who preaches gender equity, gender equality, uh, wants to end violence against women and children particularly. The fact that you're doing this might be just as good as wearing your white ribbon, you know? So I would say to you, you do your bit that feels comfortable for you. Mm. Not everyone has to be an ambassador. Uh, 
because really it's about doing. And I, I have a very strong view. We're in a new chapter in this whole violence against women trope, which is around action. We know it's a thing now. We know the prevalence. We understand the intricacies of it. I'm sure you could tell me that it's not just physical, but it's emotional. I bet you could rhyme off financial abuse. You probably know these things now. What we have to do now is act. And I feel that is the exciting piece of the the work that we can do as a community, but also bringing together the men and the women jointly and remembering about the kids because these kids are like pull-along luggage at the moment and there is no focus on children. I have seen other sort of activists, well, I don't know if they're even activists, they're more like conspiracy theorists, nice little sort of banners for men's rights activists who talk about how husbands and fathers are being crushed by the family law courts because it's a feminist-run campaign. They get very angry about our watch and white ribbon and the red heart campaign there's a lot of vitriol there which yeah. i think is also that's the problem as well yeah like, that's what we sort of need to fix you look at the the men's rights activists and i have a level of understanding about why they are saying the things they're saying only because it's based in fear and anger mm. it is also an issue of a loss of control they feel like they've lost control The systems out there, certainly, you know, I'm going to have to say feminist term, patriarchal. The fact, I mean, I've supported women in the family law courts. I'm a lawyer. um, And part of my role when I used to run the refuge actually was to support women who were going through family law matters. Sometimes I've even um, been on the phone to someone up in Queensland in court um, while we've had a woman who's escaped violence. Um, who's come to New South Wales and stayed at the refuge. And so I have a legal background. And certainly since there's been family law changes, which was around the, you know, the best interests of the child is for shared parental responsibility. uh, I have seen that there are certainly examples where women who are in fear of their partner or the father of their children are made to to send those children for contact and those children are the pawns in the game and it's a real messy structure Mm. and what I would say to men's rights activists I I think it's a little bit like the voting public you know when you're voting you're either hard left or hard right and then there's all the people in the middle who are sort of in the grey area I think there are some men's rights activists who will never change and who are misogynists and just they're stuck where they're stuck and they can be angry. It's not helpful to community at all, certainly not helpful to their kids. But I do believe there's a grey area of men who could tread into that area because they feel lonely or fearful, they're not well versed with statistics or connected. And I think that we can actually engage those men for a better outcome Mm. and have them part of the solution. I do have faith that there is a large body of men who may be feeling disgruntled, um, like they've lost out, lonely, 
who could change. I actually have faith that there is a group of men who can change. And that's the work that I find exciting for the future. Yeah. The men's work and the children's work. The women's sector, we know what we're doing. We, you know, we have our watch and Anne Rose who produces some amazing research and they're looking at work around male behaviour change, for example, these programmes that, that run. But I'm sure there are many levels of work yet to be explored and done, which is around tapping into the ordinary bloke who might be veering towards the disgruntled and women are getting it all or, you know, that that negative approach or thinking around women. I, I want to see the future where we engage with those men. Mm. There is hope. Yeah. I'm hopeful. And I've run a refuge. I mean, I should probably be gloomy, but actually I'm not. I, and also, as you said, there's, there's um, a preponderance, a huge amount of murders that have been happening in recent times, you know, from the stranger murder, Eurydice Dixon, right through to the, the women who are being murdered by the intimate partners. Um, I was in Western Australia a few weeks ago and they had had three mass murders in a row of families, you know, it was men killing their families. It's it's almost like that yin and yang thing and for good there's always bad. And whenever the, there is such a, a peak in what is going on around murder of women, I think correspondingly the light will come through and that we will start to join arms. I think it's happening. The tiny stint I spent in my previous role there is a network now called the Men Engagement Network, acronym MEN, very clever. <laughs> but that comprises of different organisations who all work and engage with men, but they're all joined, and there's academics in there too. They're all in agreement that the answer is gender equality mm. and that the issue is men's violence against women and children and that they want to put an end to it. They don't hate women. They want to be allies. They want to be informed by what the work that the women's sector has done today. Because when you look back to the, say, 60s and 70s, when we started with refuges and women, um, you know, fighting for equal rights, first wave of feminism, when all of that was happening, it was in spite of men, not with the help of men. Mm. Which is why I think the time has come where there are men ready to stand side by side. We don't want you to come on a white charger and save us. Mm. We just want equality. You know, don't help me. Be be my colleague. That's the issue. Yeah. You you, you commented, I think just before we started recording, that I don't seem like a men's rights activist. <laughs> um, and I was going to go into sort of my, I don't know, going back to being a teenager and, you know, where what would we be second wave maybe early third wave feminism but there's that uh it was like well equal rights is what it's all about it's like okay well then you've got the same rights which means whatever shit stuff happens to me can yeah. happen to you like that that was my perception of equality at that time yeah keep going keep going keep going i used to make short films Did and you? one that i was really quite proud of which is called the aussie love story so on youtube yeah yeah three parts because they only let you do 10 minutes or something like that is that why they do that i'm gonna have yeah. a look all right if i was told by a friend of one of the people who acted in it that it was uh, it was quite misogynistic okay like, no way because the men in that are as bad like they're depicted quite poorly in that yeah 
Um, I think I eventually sort of figured it out. It wasn't so much the depiction of the women. It was more that they were in fairly stereotypical sort of subjugated roles yeah. to their partners. So I'm like, yeah, okay, I think I can finally appreciate that. So I've just kind of listened and self-evaluated and I read Clementine Ford and I quite like what she writes. Um, I, I understand that her joke about killing all men was just a joke yeah. and was in a certain context as well. Yeah. Men's rights activists would like to trot that one out. Yeah. Every chance they get. I know. And reframe it as yeah. something else. But I think what, what I admire and I think we have to really be open to is that not all men who want to do the right thing are going to be perfect. Mm. And I think that's the problem that I encounter when I've started talking or working with men is our expectation is that they have the perfect feminist bar. Mm. set you know and you're you're learning the whole time it's more is your intent to have gender equality and gender equity do you want to be a person who respects women who believes that the structures shouldn't favor men that all of those things you know if, if that's your intention and you say the wrong word or you don't quite get it right I'm very relaxed about that. And I think sometimes what happens is my own sisters can perhaps be a little bit black and white about it. And you have to be perfect. Yeah. Now, to go back to that concept of this great area of men that we want to engage with in order to achieve gender equality. Yeah. And correspondingly, that would have the knock-on effect of ending violence against women. I'm absolutely sure of it. Because it's helpful to men also Mm. to be our equals. Who wants to hold power over someone? I can't imagine why that would be any fun at all. But if we're to achieve that, then we can't hold up that you have to have a high distinction in feminist academia. This feeds into the mutterings of men around... Me too. Yeah. Like, what, what? What the hell have I done? What's yeah. gonna What's gonna come out of the closet and get me? There is a Greens candidate in Melbourne, in I think around Footscray, who used to be a hip hop artist, mm-hmm. and his lyrics were quite aggressive. I think yep. he was talking about rape, and yeah. Um, but he's come out saying, "I was a young dickhead." Yeah. I was just seeing a lot of people going, "Well, that's it. Get rid of him. Can't have him representing people in Parliament." Mm-hmm. My question was, if he truly, honestly regrets it, should you not judge him by how he's behaving now? Mm. And there were sort of two responses, which is, well, yeah, but we need to see what that behaviour is. Okay, fair enough. And there was another one that was pretty much, no. Yeah. No, he's done what he's done. He can't yeah. move on. He misses out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a hard one, isn't it? Because it goes to the point of, can someone be rehabilitated, if you like, Certainly, if I think back to my teen years, <laughs> I wouldn't like to be held responsible or, or the things, the stupid things I might have said would be attributed to me now as a 51-year-old woman. Um, I think there is something around enabling and having some level of hope that someone who wants to turn their behaviour around or change should be embraced Mm. i mean we have male behavior change programs uh, that run and if we think that one strike and you're out and there's no hope for you 
then why bother? Yeah. My view is we have to, maybe empathy is the wrong word, but we have to be open to the concept that men and boys can change. And they go through phases. Mm. I have a 17-year-old son, and he's been brought up by me as a feminist. As I say, his toddler years, I ran a women's refuge, and he would come to the Christmas parties. He knows about the patriarchal structures. He's heard all the stuff that I say. Mm. And at 17, no, because he has friends who I don't influence, he asks me questions that are confronting. He actually says things to me that I think, wow, what did did I teach you? You know, things like, well, why doesn't she just leave? He asks me those questions now. So do I just say my son has no hope? No, I I absolutely don't. Mm. He's he's, he's, uh, an amazing young man. I think, you know, he'll be an amazing partner to whoever he meets. Mm. And there is, as I say, that area, that grey area of hope I have a lot of hope and positivity around what we can do with men, engaging with men, coming from the women's sector. Two two things. So refuges. Yeah. So the other trope is men get rejected from entering refuges if they're the victims of domestic violence. Is there truth to that or what are their options you mentioned before that it's not necessarily about finding shelter it's about putting in place some support systems for the victim to be able to have their own existence outside of that violent framework well the thing is with uh, the homelessness sector so let's look at um, shelter accommodation or refuges there are generalist refuges that take men absolutely Hmm. Um, And the domestic violence refuges for women and children were started by women uh, back in the 70s. In fact, the first one was in Glebe. Um, Started by women. However, there is a huge homelessness system or infrastructure that exists. So if a man has to leave, he has access to, you can phone men's line, he can access uh, shelter if he wants. In New South Wales, in fact... I'm pretty sure you can double check, but I'm 99% sure they can get Start Safely subsidy in order to be supported in their rental accommodation. Certainly that's a New South Wales specific thing. So the concept that there is nothing for men is one that it is bogus. And it's part of the reason why I thought it was really important to bring together a men's engagement network because there's a whole bunch of organisations doing things with men from male champions of change, you know, up that end of the spectrum, right down to those who are on the ground doing the male behaviour change work, you know, like stopping family violence and WA. Damien Green would be a great guy for you to talk to. He's incredibly skilled and knows a lot about children. Mm-hmm. He's in Perth uh, and, and his expertise is second to none. Jesuit social services helping guys coming out of prison. I mean, there are lots and lots of supports there for men from organisations who aren't going to drive or build on any of this hating women or men's rights activists sort of approach. They have really sound practice. Mm. So there are lots of supports, which is why that Men Engage Network exists. It's to say, in fact, there is a whole network that exists for you. There may still be some gaps and certainly there is more investment needed 
around those different types of supports. But I know certainly if you were to talk to someone like Kim O'Neill from On The Line who runs Men's Line, she also has something like 18 lines, but she's running things like the Employment Assistance Programme for veterans and, and all those sorts of stories are coming through. And you really know that loneliness and isolation is a big thing for men but there is support out there and it doesn't have to be that you google family court i got dudded and you end up going to a hate site that's not helpful is it <laughs> and, and that's what happens you know and they end up going down this path of being obsessed with their family court matter it takes over their lives that's not living mm. uh, you know it, it is not a happy life to use power and violence don't be that guy you can change you can choose something else i'm sure there is a small number of men who are psychopaths and sociopaths whatever i'm not a doctor i know there's some people who just can't change mm. but i have a great deal of uh hope that there are men who can decide to take a different path but they've always got to check you said a thing some in the beginning of this you were talking about from when you were younger to now and again talking about my son or the greens candidate as long as you're a reflective person and on the whole your your values are those of equality and that you want to be a good person then there's always hope and that's what I take to the work I don't go into the work feeling gloomy mm. and that is even when I ran the refuge, um, I certainly always had high expectations and aspirations to support women to get where they needed to get to. It was more than just, oh, have you got your Centrelink number? You know, what's what's the bare minimum we can get you? I always saw this as an opportunity for women to blossom too. So I'm certainly a glass half full voice in this space as awful and gloomy and deadly as it is i do think if you haven't got a level of optimism or solutions in your you know in your focus then why bother but it can change we know what we need to do it's going to need significant investment um, the federal government and the state governments are going to have to you know at a coag level really put them the money where their mouth is um, to start to build up those different bits of the jigsaw puzzle children there's nothing for them really support the stuff that's around supports for men or engaging men which is controversial because my sisters may say that's money that should go to women however if you can support a man not to be violent then what you're doing is investing in women and children that's the way I see it. I see that money as invested in women and kids. Mm. Because the thing is, those men don't disappear. I've said this a hundred times to people. They don't go off onto Alcatraz Island and, and that's them gone. They move to another relationship. Mm. And so if we can do some work there, then we've really, you know, started to hit on something positive, I think. The other topic I had, because I don't have an answer to this one myself. I probably don't either. <laughs> so a, a friend of mine, I, I, I've mentioned him a, a 
couple of times when the Western Port Corporation down at Phillip Island put up the there was the billboard that yep. was end all violence. That's it, right. And then it was defaced, defaced yeah. four times or something like that. Yeah. Um, he got on the phone to me. He's like, when you're not including everyone, then I, I don't want a part of it. Yeah. That was the the essence of what he said. He's he's a he's a good guy. Yeah. But I get what he's saying, but I'm you know I'm gonna keep trying to work on this bit. But I'd love to have sort of had the the back pocket answer. Yeah. I, I think there is a back pocket answer. So when you see the Jane McGrath Foundation talk about breast cancer and it's all pink and it's had ladies' nights and all of that, nobody says, what about men who have breast cancer? Nobody Actually, says I that. I have heard that. <laughs> oh, do you? So I, I don't hear that much. And I think that's the thing about the fact that this is a statement about women and children. This, this, that, that's what that statement was about. It was about women. And why we have to include everyone makes no sense. It's, it's almost like we're not saying you don't exist. It's like saying, I have a broken arm. I'm going to talk about broken arms. So I wrote people with the broken legs. Come on. The issue that happened down there was very clearly one where there was a murder and Phillip Island rallied around the White Ribbon symbolically, um, which is what it is. It's a movement and they use that to elevate the, the issue and say we're not going to stand for violence against women and we want to raise money for the kids that are left behind. And that's what the issue was about. And it's really a little bit disrespectful, I would say, or a big bit disrespectful to go, what about me? You know, it's it's like, no, it's not always about you. And you're not always going to be included in this. We're dealing with an epidemic that particularly impacts women in their intimate relationships with their partners. And you should be allowed to say that without saying, oh, not all men are bad or not. It's, come on. Mm. It's actually a bit of a childish um, response, I always find. It's like something maybe my eight-year-old son would say. He wouldn't say it now. But, you know, when he was eight, he would say, yeah, but, yeah, but what about when she said this to me? That's what it's like. It's actually uh, a not very mature or well thought through position. It's a, and, and also I think it's it's in some way... It's a bit like the sorry for Aboriginal people. It's like, well, why would I be sorry? I didn't do anything to them. I didn't invade Australia. It's a respect thing that this is a real issue and I'm happy to stand beside it and I don't want to see violence against women. It's not about you. It actually speaks to the patriarchy that that's the position they go to or the default position is they go straight to themselves. Mm. I come from Scotland. I wasn't even born in Australia and I'm sorry for what happened to the Aboriginal people that own this country. So it's okay also, you know, likewise for men to say it's okay for me to take a back seat for once and actually be an ally about the fight against uh, to end violence against women. It doesn't have to always be about you. Mm. My parents are English, uh, so I'd just Never like mind. to respond and say I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, apology accepted. <laughs> Someone once asked me if I was English. I was like, no, actually, no, more than once. Because my accent's all messed up. And they'll often say, are you from, um, I don't know, up north or something? I'm like, no, call me anything but English. <laughs> I joke, of course. Oh, dear. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very Scottish. 
That's why I'd never join, I'd never be a parliamentarian because you've got to revoke your citizenship. Well, the other thing is I've probably got way too many skeletons in my closet. Um, but that, but yeah, I, I just think once a Scot, always a Scot. <laughs> um, being lighthearted and talking politics. Uh, so I learnt the word misandrous about 20 years ago. Yeah. Never appeared in a dictionary. A writing teacher of mine yeah. mentioned the word. Do you think David Lionhelm needs to be commended for introducing the word to the MRAs? Oh, bless his heart. <laughs> I don't know that David Lionhelm needs to be commended for much at all. I think that he's very good at commending himself for having the answers to everything. That's funny you should say that. It goes to the point of you talking about constantly reflecting. And I think that's what human beings are, right? You're not the same person knowledge-wise and you frame your thinking that changes as you go through eras and you learn and you realise the older you get, the less you know. I find David Lionhelm is like Benjamin Button. He's the opposite. <laughs> so he's actually, as you know, the, the more we hear from him, the more perfect and knowledgeable he is. So, you know, good on him. I don't think I don't think I need to give him any more pats on the back mm. because I think it's probably red with his own handprints. So what are you doing now after White Ribbon? So I've been do I just actually came from my new gig. I'm doing some consulting work with Disruptors Handbook and how would I describe them? They do strategy with organizations but using social impact and innovation. Um, I went to Cambridge, I studied business at Cambridge, but two of the core units I did there was social impact and innovation. And so I'm getting to play in a space which is very New York loft down in Surrey Hills. So that's a lot of fun. Um, also, I'll do bits and pieces of work. I've got a few clients who've come to me when they knew I was leaving White Ribbon to look at in 2019 me doing some work around violence against women, gender equality, that sort of thing. Uh, I sit on a board, I'm on a corporate board. And the other thing that I'm toying with, but I'm not sure yet, is I've been approached to do executive leadership for women because I've been through the ringer, mate. I'm 51 and I have worked, um, as I say, I've, I've done everything from behind a counter through to CEO and I've worked for government as a lawyer. I've been a law reform commissioner. And so my... My knowledge of navigating as a woman, um, management and leadership roles, I think could be very helpful. And so I'm toying with that as a sideline next year because I have a pretty active LinkedIn profile and people have often approached me, but I've always been immersed mm -hmm. in CEO roles. And so the most I could really offer was having a coffee with someone, but I have capacity now to bob along like a cork on this consulting, doing my own thing thing for a while. Mm. I'll see where it takes me. Maybe when it gets to March next year, I'll go for another CEO gig. A very sage, he was a man, but never mind. Um, <laughs> who's a, a, a gentleman in his early 60s, said he was at a fork in the road at my age and had a similar, a similar issue. Do I go to another one employer leadership role he wasn't a ceo he had another type of role in leadership um he said or do i give this a crack where i do contract work for different people and one of my skills which i'm quite happy to be, to boast about is i'm good with complex situations and organizations and untangling that ball of wool mm -hmm. and thinking of ways to sort through a mess 
uh, that's something that I do well. But also, I'll keep my hand in with the the women and the children and the men stuff too. I mean, I think once you're a, a anti-violence activist, mm-hmm. you sort of can't leave the crew. And I know that the the work that's coming up in 2019 for me will be specifically around supporting organisations who work in those fields. Yeah, I think I can relate to that. It's sort of this podcast has become not an albatross, but it's like we can't stop talking yet. Albatross. Oh, God, sorry, I shouldn't be joking, but that made me think of Monty Python. There's an albatross sketch. But see, I'm showing my age. The, the, the one I'm thinking of is when um, someone's at the movies and he says albatross. He's going round with the thing. He's saying albatross, albatross. And someone says, two chalk ices, please. He says, I only have albatrosses. <laughs> Makes no sense, but it's very Monty Python. But yeah, the albatross around your neck. When this stuff gets you, it gets you. And, you know, as I said, you don't have to be an ambassador or, you know, th- there is no particular way that you can be in the world to make change Mm. you just find your own way your podcast is probably your way and who knows you know what will lead from that to get a tv show that that would be cool i always think that there's a real gap in the market you know how we have insiders which is politics there's the business one that comes on after whoever watches that you know the one on sunday it's like off um there's that one (laughs) so boring um but then i think there is one that is something around the not-for-profit social justice piece what's going on yeah and i think you know not just women's rights and gender equality but overall what's happening for people who are doing it tough Mm. poverty and inequality there is billions being spent out there in that industry and What's the impact? There's a TV show in that, I'm sure. I'm entering into the consultancy world and have a bit of time on my hands as well. So. Oh, you're consulting too? Well, yeah, oh, it's sort of happening. <laughs> That's what's happened to me. Yeah. It's like, I've got to get an ABN. I have to get... I had an ABN and, and I've been claiming stuff against my ABN. when I As a sole trader. Yeah, yeah. When I sort of had to kick things into gear, um, it found it had been made inactive yeah it only took a couple of days i resurrected mine sake because yeah. i had one from years ago and never did anything with it but i actually like today i had to rock up to a job and i'm going to have to issue an invoice to them mm. and i need a process i'm lucky because i've know a lot of people from mm. just my work and obviously a lot of my work heading up peak bodies was dealing with government and business because yeah. i used to do a lot of those um, partnerships where I'd bring together the not-for-profit, the business and government to do our NFPPP, if you like. <laughs> Instead of a PPP, it was like the NFPPP. Um, and like the Social and Affordable Housing Fund in New South Wales, the billion-dollar fund, I negotiated that with Mike Baird. And so when we brought that together, um, you f- I found very quickly my contact list is not just about not-for-profits you you don't realize when you're in just a day-to-day paid job the opportunities once you're accidentally solo well my wife's worried uh, because she's just been studying this year as well so we're both presently unemployed you're both corks bobbing along see i'm all right my husband's a police officer and he just goes no i don't know what you're doing yeah so she's like, have you sent an application for that job? I'm like, yes, I have. Meanwhile, I've had meetings and calls. and But it's no. more that 
this just is, the, this yeah, is the not income stream. Yeah, it's yeah, that's it. It's not income stream yet. Because um, you said you were short. You had a short stint too. Yeah. How long was yours? Five months. I started in May. Ooh, you beat me. I did twelve weeks. No, you beat me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, and my daughter, who was a sandwich artist at Subway, did one shift. So she beats us all. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. So I've never, I've never been in a job for twelve weeks. Uh, turns out there is a benefit to not being a dickhead. Like I've people happy to still work with me. My former boss is happy to let me use this space for this interview. This is this is what has been very refreshing to me is I left <clears throat> because we had a values clash. <laughs> Don't be even values clash. There were many reasons. Um, but what I would say, as you say, there's something about not being a dickhead. Even when I knew it was on the cards, everyone's just swooped around. Yeah. And it's been okay. Yeah. And I think that's made me very resilient. I think in other circumstances, I would have been in a bit of a heap. Yeah. But Me too. But it's like, everyone's just gone, all right, do you want some work? Do you want to go out for margaritas? Are you okay? <laughs> that's what, my phone is just busy with. And people, high profile people, like with influence. So I'm like, oh, I'm okay. It's so, weird. It's been a bit of a... I've, I've been rather open on this whole podcast about my mental health issues and hiccups and stuff like that and so uh, in a similar way is like people who've sort of come in and gone are you okay like just leave yeah. the job are you, are you all right like I'm actually I'm really okay <laughs> but it's something to do with the people so this goes to this thing we we're talking about loneliness and yes. connection and yeah. all of that I have never felt so supported or connected to a broad network and so much like, um, like I've, I've always had a paid job and I've never stayed at somewhere for a few weeks. Mm. Um, and I'm bloody good at my job. I know this, uh, there's things I'm not good at. So I'm not egomaniac, but I know what I'm good at. And so what I saw very quickly was everyone saw through and said, oh, come and do stuff for us. And that's something about your resilience gets built. Because I think it's like a bank account, isn't it? Yeah. And it gets depleted. And yeah. if you haven't got anything to build up this side, you're screwed. Yeah. Like when I had um, my little kid, my kids are grown up now, well, 17, 18 and 27. But when I had the little ones, I got very sick mental health um, matters with them. And I was actually scheduled. So I've been, I've been in the um, proverbial loony bin. I haven't. You've just reminded me when when I had my uh, mental breakdown, like the stuff that just poured through my mind while I was blubbering. I'm like, why has that come up now? I'm like, oh shit! I've actually been holding on to a whole lot of stuff and didn't even realise. I think everyone is entitled to at least one complete breakdown right, in their life. Yeah. I'm sure I've got one coming at some point. And it goes again when I think back to having the toddlers and all of that. It just felt hopeless. Mm. Whereas this situation, I mean, I was fired. So I used to run a women's refuge. Before that, as I say, I was a, a lawyer in yeah. federal government. I was senior executive. And I took a three-quarters pay cut to run a women's refuge. Yeah. Did the, took this huge leap of faith. Left 
government um, went in to run a refuge, which was all fabulous. And when when I was there, I started being involved with the the sort of head office, yeah. the movement that was in Sydney. And so it was like the peak body or the industry body. That was complicated because historically refuges had come up and there was no real network or rhyme or reason to the funding and you know it wasn't tidy and it was hard and I ended up the CEO of that peak body and that was hard times but compared to this it was very different Mm. because this one I'm just like "Mm, don't get it Thanks, Anne, for travelling to Sydney for that uh, fascinating chat. I certainly found the conversation enthralling. Uh, With former CEO of the White Ribbon Foundation, Tracy McLeod Howe, uh, who's just an incredible person. Keep an eye out for her on the drum. Uh, She she pops up on the ABC telly quite a bit in talking about um, uh, issues relating to preventing violence against women and children, uh, an absolutely dedicated uh, individual there. Lucky to have her in the country, really. Uh, now, it, it's the weekend of, of White Ribbon, and in my research into Tracy McLeod Howe, came across quite a bit of um, discussion of, of, of what, what White Ribbon does, what they do and what they don't do. Now, there's an opinion piece which you'll find uh, at the All Men Can podcast Facebook page on our Twitter at All Men Can AU uh, in regards to why the White Ribbon Foundation should actually be um, discontinued. Some fascinating reading, and that's the thing. You don't stick your neck out in this uh, in this world without somebody developing a, an opinion of it. And I know that Anthony's had his own opinions in regards to the White Ribbon Foundation. But um, yeah, you might be interested in the way that they conduct themselves. And uh, it might give you some insight potentially as to why uh, the current values and actions of the White Ribbon Foundation did not marry up with Tracy McLeod Howe in, uh, and resulting in her stepping down as CEO after a very, very short tender. Uh, we've got another chat that uh, Ants had with uh, somebody else in their local community around Phillip Island doing their best to uh, prevent violence against women. That chat will be coming up uh, very, very soon. So how do you know what's going on? Well, go across to iTunes, uh, subscribe to the po- All Men Can uh, AU podcast, give us a rating, give us a review, connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at All Men Can AU uh, and Facebook too. Get the notification settings uh, blinking on your phone every time we sneeze at the All Men Can podcast Facebook page. You can keep up to date with us as well. Uh, we're on Gmail as well. Find us and, and shoot us a note if need be. Uh, but stay safe, stay cool, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>